about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things, for one official is eyed by a higher one and over them both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all, the king himself profits from the fields. Whoever loves money never has enough, whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them, and what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a labourer is sweet, whether they eat little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain since they toil for the wind? All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. This is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions, and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot, and be happy in their toil. This is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life, because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. I have seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor, so that they lack nothing their hearts desire, but God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them, and strangers enjoy them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. A man may have a hundred children and live many years, yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. It comes without meaning, it departs in darkness, and in darkness its name is shrouded. Though it never saw the sun or knew anything, it has more rest than does that man, even if he lives a thousand years twice over but fails to enjoy his prosperity. Do not all go to the same place? The second reading is 1 Timothy 6, 6 6-19. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, And of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate, 
made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honour and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Good morning, friends in the building and online. Great to be with you, especially on such a nice day where we get to celebrate God's goodness to us in our new and coming rector. Really exciting thing. Thank you, Fiona. Thank you, our nominators. They've done, done an incredible job. And we're so thankful for you. Uh, we are continuing our walk through the book of Ecclesiastes, and we've been journeying through asking questions of life, or letting the teacher ask questions of life, uh, and seeing what is meaningful and worthwhile, and what makes sense, particularly in crazy, difficult times like the ones we are in. And obviously one of the big things happening this year is economics, and the failure of economics, and wondering what will come in the future what, uh, about housing, and money, and all kinds of things. That's what the teacher takes us today. And he's quite dark in this chapter, actually. He's very provocatively dark about the prospects that money actually gives us in life. He keeps using the phrase grievous evil as a way of describing some of the dark things he observes. But let me start a bit lighter. Let me start with one of my favorite people. This is Sadio Mane. Uh, he's a Senegalese striker for the best football team in the world, Liverpool, of course, and um, he's, I, I love him, he's a fantastic guy, he's a Muslim. Uh, on the day he lifted a significant trophy for Liverpool, he was also seen at his local mosque cleaning the toilets. Um, but at the end of last year, he, this photo of him went viral, it's him just walking down the team tunnel uh, before a game, and people noticed in the photo that he has this huge crack all over his screen, which is pretty normal for everyone. Uh, but when you earn £200,000 a week, you generally probably don't need to have a cracked phone. That's probably something you can just sweep up and deal with quite easily. And very funny threads of people offering to start funds to fix his phone, etc., etc. Um, but in other places, Sadio's already commented a bit on his relationship to money and his past in Senegal. Uh, he said things like this, I was hungry and I had to work in the field. I survived hard times, played football barefooted. I didn't have an education and many other things. But today, I can help people. I built schools, a stadium. We provide clothes, shoes, food for people who are in extreme poverty. I give 70 euros per month to all people in a very poor region of Senegal, which contributes to their family economy. I do not need to display luxury cars, luxury homes, trips, and even planes. I prefer that my people receive a little of what life has given me. It's very, very refreshing uh, if you know anything of uh, English football and the money that's involved and the betting that's involved and just the, ri the ridiculous ends toward 
a lot of football stars go. He's a beautiful antidote to a lot of things. And I find him very provocative. He seems to not swim in the stream of consumerism and obsession about things that we all swim in. And yet he has an eye for the, the big problems of oppression and poverty as well. Uh, I find this provocative. Uh, and I think that's helpful. And I think that's what the teacher does today with us with money as well. He's provoking us, helping us re-see our relationship to our wealth in a slightly different way. I think he presents for us what I like to call the riddle of riches in this chapter. And I want to kind of unpack that, and we'll come back to Sadio a bit later. But four things about the riddle of riches in our world. He starts in a surprising pace, actually. He starts in a really broad level, thinking about the, the broad economic impact of greed on a global and on a local scale. He starts by saying, you know, if you see oppression, we should not be surprised. In chapter 5, verse 8, if you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. What's he naming? He's naming poor people who are oppressed by those in power and those who need justice from a justice system being denied that by the very system involved. He says, if you look around the world and you're surprised that poor people are oppressed by people in power, then you haven't been looking very well. Because it's always happening everywhere. It is part of the fabric of our reality. He goes on to explain why. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. Why is it that oppression is found everywhere? There's a whole system of leadership, of someone above someone else. And each of them keeps the other person in line. So there's a perfect system, a systemic means of keeping people in poverty, of keeping other people in power. This is our world, says the teacher. Do not be surprised when you find it that way. You know, we're not to be surprised that under the, the cover of COVID, that many families in India are taking up small loans that will indebt their family for generations. We're not to be surprised that more people are offering themselves to be exploited in online pornography because they have no other way. That there is an increase in trafficking of men and women across our world. We're not to be surprised by these things. Because this is what happens in our world. It's not just individuals with their riches and their wealth, but whole big systems of power that oppress and push down people who are poor and who require more. Friends, this is your world. It's happening in COVID. I've been reading a bit about trafficking in COVID and actually uh, helped me understand that human trafficking is often the darkest consequence of compounding vulnerabilities in people's lives. And what the pandemic has done has greatly accelerated and compounded vulnerabilities that traffickers are looking to exploit. This is our world. If you're not seeing this, then you're not looking well enough. If you're not seeing the wider economic view of the riddle of riches, then you need to look further out. If the pandemic is narrowing your focus onto you and your bank account and your situation, the teacher is summoning you out. He says in uh, verse 9 that there's a way, it's a very cryptic, it's very hard to translate verse 9, um, but there is a way for the king of Israel to enable the land to produce things for everyone. There shouldn't need to be oppression of the poor for everyone to have enough. 
If that's a word for you today, you need to broaden your perspective on that. Then maybe let the Lord lead you to some resources on that. But he doesn't stay long in this part. He kind of just signals that. And then he moves to what's underneath that pattern in the human heart and in the experience of a lot of wealthy people. He starts talking about the love of money. Because you'd think that if there are people who are powerful and rich who press down others continually, then it must be a really good thing to be rich that they really don't want to lose it. But what the teacher says is that, no, 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 no. If you love money, if you are desperate for more money and power, if you love money, it will never love you back. Let me count the ways that money does not love you. Here we go, in the poem. He writes in the poem, which is so sarcastic, it's lovely. Whoever loves money never has money enough. If you want more money, yes, you'll get some more, but you'll always want a little bit more. And if your wage increases and your wealth grows, you'll never be satisfied. If you love money, if you'd love to have a little bit more of it, your spirit will never find rest, he says. In fact, in verse 11, as you get more things, it's almost like there's more things to do. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? When you get more things, it's almost like they they take on a life of their own. Instead of consuming them, they start consuming you. When you have more things, more people want more things from you, and you have more worries. In fact, you end up with so many worries that you can't actually sleep at night, verse 12. The sleep of a laborer is sweet, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. When you have lots of money, what are you anxious about? Losing all your money. And so your love for money actually drives you into a depth of anxiety. And then there's the dark riddle in verse 13 and 14 of someone who hoards money, to prepares themselves and their family for everything that's going to happen, and then something goes wrong, like an earthquake or an invasion or something, a pandemic even. And that moment when their children need the money, there's no money left in the bank. Money will abandon you when you need it most. And in verse 15, money will abandon you as you're put into the ground in your grave. You can't leave with it. And so where do you end up with you love money? Verse 17, all their days they eat in darkness with frustration, affliction, and anger. If you love money, money will not love you back. Money will increase your anger, your frustration, and your anxiety, the restlessness of your spirit. But it will not give you peace or security or happiness or hope. See what the teacher's doing? He's trying to expose us. He's trying to expose our hearts here. For us who have money, who rest on it and feel hopeful about it. And for us who don't feel like we have enough, who long to have a little bit more. Both of us are saying, no, 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 no. If you want more money, if you think that's the solution, it will not lead to the place you think it will. It reminds me of this definition of affluenza that's been floating around for 20 years now. To describe what in memes at the moment is described as the pandemic that will never have a vaccine. The bloated, sluggish, and unfulfilled feeling resulting from trying to buy all the latest stuff and keep up with the Joneses 
an unsustainable addiction to consumption and economic growth without regard for the consequences to our families, communities, or the environment. Our whole way of life is often pent up in a love and a want for more. A love and a want for more stuff. And we are so wealthy and we have so much, but we are so anxious and depressed and lost and restless. We are everything that the teacher speaks of. And this is so helpful, I think. It's exposing and let it expose you. What, what for you, when, when you talk to yourself at the end of the day and you think about what is coming, what do you say yourself about what will make the future all right? It's okay, my job is good, we'll be okay in the end, even if things get a little harder. Well, we have paid down most of the house already. There is a little bit of inheritance coming. There's always our government that has our back. In what ways does your heart store up a love for more or a hope in money? Because if your love and your hope are in money, money will not love you back. As we read in 1 Timothy, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now after saying this, the teacher arrives at kind of a conclusion. I call it kind of a conclusion because I actually think he contradicts himself straight after because I don't think he fully believes his conclusion works practically. But his half conclusion is in verse 18, and, and basically what he wants to say in this point of the chapter is that if only, the solution is, is, is if only we could just joyfully accept what God gives. Then we could just settle for what we've been given and be joyful in it and just sit there. That'd be great. But for some reason we can't. Look, what, this is what he says. He says, you know, this is what I have observed, verse 18, to be good. And that is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their life. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, that's a gift from God. What does he say? Just, just accept your lot. You've got a few days only a few glasses of wine, a little bit of food, some really hard days at work. Just enjoy it. You know, settle for what you've been given. Settle for what you have. It's enough. And he says, well, if you're wealthy, if you've been given possessions and God's given you the ability to enjoy them, then, man, you're one of the most blessed people on the whole earth. Just enjoy what you have. Just take it all as a gift. But then do you notice what he says straight after? The, the, another evil, verse 1 of chapter 6, under the sun. Get this, he says, you know, here's what, here's what actually happens. God gives some people wealth, possession, and honor so that they lack nothing their heart desires, but God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them. And strangers enjoy them instead. You see, he says, you know, it'd be so great if we could just enjoy the great stuff we've been given. And he says, the problem is, is that generally when you look at life and you look at the people who have all the stuff, 
God seems to have turned off the enjoyment switch in them. And they seem completely unable to enjoy it. So it's like you can have the stuff or you can have the enjoyment, but you can never have both. So the solution is just, he says, just enjoy what you have. He says, well, actually, no one gets to do that. Actually, some people build up all their wealth and only and spend all their times making wealth and never enjoy it, and then they die, and it ends up with a distant stranger who, who gets their money instead, and they, never, and they get to enjoy it instead of them. This is a meaningless, a grievous evil, he says. And then he doubles down and gets darker. A man may have a hundred children and live many years Yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive a proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. This is how messed up he thinks the world is. If everyone has been given things by God but cannot enjoy them, then he pulls out the darkest thing he could say. The stillborn child who has never seen the world at all. That dark, awful, painful, grief-filled reality that many people have experienced, even here. He says that they're better off. Why? Well, they depart in darkness. Though it never saw the sun or knew anything, it has more rest than does that man. The person with the mansion has less rest in their spirit, less peace than a stillborn child. That's how dark the riddle of riches goes. If only we could just joyfully accept what God has given, but for some reason we seem fundamentally unable to live in that place of simplicity and joy. Or even that God does not grant us to live in that space. Now this is the conclusion of 1 Timothy 6 again. Command those who are rich in this present world, which is anyone in Australia in the 21st century, I think, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God who richly provides us for everything for our enjoyment. God gives us good things to be enjoyed. Wealth is not an evil. It's a good gift from God to be enjoyed. But we destroy it by putting our hope in it, by becoming arrogant about it, by turning it into much more than it should be. And we, we seem unable to live out this beautiful simplicity that we were made for. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that when we're at this place? This is the limit to, that the teacher can take us at the end of the day. He's provoked us. He's exposed us. But we need a greater son of David. He claims to be a son of David in this book. We need a greater son of David who not only can expose us, but can heal us. Who can not only name the riddle, but can solve it. And in the presence of the greatest son of David, in the presence of the Lord Jesus, rich, money-loving tax collectors and Pharisees finally found spiritual rest. In his presence, people appeared to renounce their wealth and start handing it out on the streets. In the presence of the greater son of David, in the presence of Jesus Christ alone, Christ alone can make us truly rich and generous. Because generosity is the greater picture 
uh, of discipleship for the Christian in the New Testament, isn't it? And we see this in 1 Timothy 6 that we had read out. Command them, those who are rich in this age, to do good, to be rich in good deeds. Not just do good deeds, but become this rich, filled person of goodness and generosity and sharing. He's describing that, that person I long to be when I'm 60 or 65, who has spent a whole life working out and inventing new ways to be generous year upon year upon year upon year until there are, I'm a person who's richly generous in every way. That's the vision for the Christian. This rich, generous, sharing person in a wealthy age. The Bible summons us to a deliberate journey on that path. But how on earth do we get from the anxious, angry, restless picture of Ecclesiastes 6 to the picture of 1 Timothy 6.18? How on earth do you become, do you bridge that gap? Well, the Lord Jesus is our answer, but maybe Sadio can help us understand the path. What makes Sadio use his wealth differently to other pretty boy footballers. He really understood that he had nothing. Absolutely nothing. And everyone around him had nothing. And it was the vision of his absolute poverty that changed his vision of his riches. I think for us, that's actually the destination too. Ecclesiastes 5 and 6 is supposed to expose our poverty. We really think of ourselves as rich, as fulfilled, as having all the things in our part of the world, in this time, in this place. Ecclesiastes says, what do you actually have? Sleepless nights? Anxiety and fear? No hope or security. You have a grave awaiting you where you can take nothing with you. You are ultimately poor. And at the end of Ecclesiastes, where do you end up? You end up under the judgment of God. You end up with nothing and under the judgment of God. We are ultimately poor. We ultimately have nothing. Though our world tells us we have everything. But in Jesus Christ, what happens? Well, in 2 Corinthians, we read in the discussion of generosity that we know that the grace, the, the pure gift, the undeserved kindness of our Lord Jesus Christ was that though he was rich, though he was infinitely above, powerful, mighty, and awesome, did not use that to oppress us in our poverty. Yet, what did he do? Yet, for your sake, your sake, friend, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. You see, you really have nothing unless you have him. And when you have him, he gives you everything. He takes upon himself your poverty, your wrath, your judgment, your misuse of wealth, your misuse of your life to give you his infinite riches. And see, it's when you really, really, really know in the depth of your heart that you really have nothing without him. But with him, you have everything. That changes everything. 
That gives you a way to enjoy what you have, because really you don't deserve anything. And already you have everything. It pushes you along that journey to invent ways of generosity every day because you, you are the perfect Lord of all, as Martin Luther would say. You have been accepted and uh, made part of such an infinitely rich house that you really lack nothing. So what is it to give anything away? You see, it's only through Christ and being made rich in him by righteousness, by faith, by what he gives. Only then are we free from the riddle of riches, from the darkness and anxiety and restlessness of spirit. So find your riches in him. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we want to be exposed today. We want our false hope in the uncertain riches we've been given in this world to be undone. They are paltry. We will leave this earth without them. We have nothing if we do not have the cross of Jesus Christ. And yet with his cross, we have everything. And Father, we want to be freed by this, freed by this to enjoy the simplicity of our days, freed by this to give, to become those people of rich generosity that echo the generosity we have received in our Lord Jesus. Father, we want to be so much more than our world has summoned us to be. And we can only be it by our Lord Jesus. So we pray, remake us in his name and for his sake. Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.